0: Maximize your sense of aliveness. Gain new perspectives on health, your body, and the meaning of life. You can control your physiology and how you feel in your body in this moment. Your life will never be the same. This is the Vitality Podcast with Andrea Page.
1: This is a space uh, where I don't really try to teach anything, (laughs) my intention in this space is simply to remind you of things that you already know, deep inside of you, and that's not something that we need to mentalize, if it is a reminder of something that you know, you'll feel it, and that's why we've renamed these lectures Community Health Satsang, Satsang, that essence of truth in community, that awakening of something inside of you, that reminder of, oh yes, oh yeah, Oh, yeah. And quite often we do need these reminders in the realm of health in the modern world because almost everything else is pointing us in a different direction, trying to sell us a product or a regimen or even an idea. So before I go any further, I'll be really upfront. I don't sell products or regimens or even ideas Um, I do sell education, that's the only thing that I ever hope to sell, the empowerment in yourself to discover your own potential. Uh, I do give a lot of things away for free though, (laughs) that's why I'm recording this lecture, I have a podcast series online and so that small card that you got around, uh, if you go to my website, there's all the free downloads there and I'm going to be uploading more soon, by tomorrow, by tomorrow. Uh, gorgeous. So I won't go any further without exposing to you some of my biases. It's something I'm very passionate about, that anyone who can speak publicly for a certain period of time probably has some opinions, and I'm no exception to that. And so I make the conscious choice to tell you about them up front, so that there's no hidden cards as this conversation goes. I am at my roots a natural hygienist, which means that I go f- through long periods of time without eating solid food. In fact, today is 21 days on a fast, and so I haven't eaten in 21 days. Normally, I'm much more woo than that, but I really wanted to be present with that colonics client, and now I'm here with you guys, so let me ease in. I'm sure I'll get more excitable as the hour passes. Um, perhaps many of you haven't ever seen anyone who hasn't eaten in 21 days, <laughs> so you can look and do some scientific experiments if you'd like. Um, And through the process of fasting, which is the backbone of natural hygiene, we understand that the body can and will heal itself. It can and will rebalance anything. It can and will detoxify anything that doesn't belong inside. And all of us are carrying a whole lot of stuff that doesn't belong inside. And when that stuff, pardon my vagueness, gets so accumulated is when it turns into really a cesspool, if you will, a uh, ground rampant for development of dis-ease, yeah, of imbalance, of the lack of health. And so what is health, on the other hand? Health is definitely balance, it's definitely ease, and it's definitely the body functioning unobstructed, right, with full free will to be able to do what it wants, as it wants without the mind getting in the way, saying, no, I can't poop there, I can't poop at his house, I could never poop. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, so that's just one, one illustration, if you will, of obstruction. I have a whole podcast on congestion. You can learn more about that. But uh, other biases of mine from natural hygiene, I come into practice in the modern world, and I have a doctorate in naturopathy, which is the practice of non-interventive, non-pharmaceutical medicine, yeah, and so uh, healing in a natural way, but also healing in a way where your body's empowered. The practice that I do is quite different than other naturopaths as well, because even the prescription, let's say, of herbal medicine, is still a prescription. There's still something outside of you that you've been put under the premise or the understanding that's required for your body's healing. Something outside of you that you somehow need to rebalance. And what I'm here to say is that there is nothing that you need except for to take away all the obstacles standing in the way of your body healing itself. And that's really the thesis of natural hygiene, is that the body can and will heal itself when given the space and time to do so. And that's huge. That's huge. We have some living examples in this room. And there are so many out there. You just have to start researching that stuff rather than researching the disease. And that's the biggest struggle that we have in the modern medicinal system, the allopathic medicine system. We focus on disease. And this is what I talked about a lot last week. For those of you who are here, you can tune in to that podcast tomorrow. Tomorrow. If you want to hear it. But um, final biases huge bias towards the large intestine, I'm a career colon hydrotherapist and the director of the colonics clinic here and definitely elimination is something that we don't do enough of and it's the number one exit and that's the number one portal for detoxification and so empowering elimination can be one of the most empowering things that we'll ever do to jumpstart, rebalance and come back on a track of health. Beyond that, I have a Master's of Science in something called Ethnobotany, which is the study of the relationship between people and plants. And food plants, gastroethnobotany are my specialty. And so, um, yeah, what do people grow? How do they prepare it? Uh, What does it mean to eat something fresh cut versus something that's been shipped halfway across the world or been sitting on a grocery store shelf for two weeks? Questions like that. The whole field of nutritional science is quite narrow minded, if you don't mind me saying, and so uh, my background in ethnobotany tends to expand that. Mm -hmm. More podcasts on that stuff too. Mm -hmm. Tonight, unless any of you have any overwhelming requests of things that you want me to talk about, I've been called recently uh, to start to really talk about how we need to put into question everything we think we know and this is the practice of yoga in essence. Yeah. Um, there's a great Walt Whitman quote, examine all that you've been told, dismiss that which insults your soul. Yeah. Um, so uh, I come to you tonight uh, with a lot of humility. I'm, I'm, I'm facing a bit of a rough moment in my career because I'm about to launch a video series of teaching yoga online with a great, wonderful, super heart centered company called CB Now. I can leave out some of the flyers if you want to check it out. But my video series will launch in July. And I'm facing that moment where I'm like, oh, who am I to be teaching this series? Because you know, it's different when it's just taught in class than when it's documented in the time capsule of a video, right? And anyone from anywhere can watch it anytime. And I'm saying like yoga isn't something that can be taught. Yoga isn't something that belongs to me, right, with my white skin in this lifetime, no matter how many years I've lived in India. Who am I to claim to know anything about yoga? I truly firmly believe that we, right, most people passing through the yoga barn at least, are all yoga beginners. And that's me who's been practicing for 15 years. I'm a beginner because until you can start to perhaps slow or even stop your heart rate or leave your body for periods of time and then come back perhaps stop other physiological markers as well that's some of the more advanced practices of yoga so until we start to figure out the pathway in between which would be the intermediate we're all still beginner yogis and there's a lot of like freedom and release in that as well to be humble, just because you can practice pincha forearm balance or even if I can pronounce the Sanskrit well doesn't mean that I'm advanced and so that's the let's say conversation that I'm having with myself as well as the whole concept of cultural appropriation with yoga as well and what this whole modern yoga industry is and the whole idea of selling yoga online and things like that And so I want to take that spirit of inquiry and um, I don't want to call it doubt because it's not doubt. It's it's humility and reality mixed together, if anyone has a word for that. (laughs) It's applying that to the realm of health because I'm also here as a naturopathic doctor saying that I don't know anything. People come to me all the time with disease conditions that I know nothing about. Most of that's because I didn't go to medical school very intentionally. And I'm not an M.D. because I didn't want to spend four to eight years studying disease. I'm a doctor of health, and so I study health. You see that? It's very different. My main mission in the work I do, and I try to say this every week, is to raise the bar on health where we no longer understand health merely as living without disease, absence of disease. Have you heard of that before? I'm healthy because I'm not sick. Well, my question is what if there's more? What if there's more to health, more to life than simply living without disease? Yeah, because remember all those things festering in your body? <laughs> it could take a while. Now it's very common that you get older and you get disease and then you die. What if there is more? where there's prevention earlier on. Thankfully, so many of my clients are in their 20s. And I say, hallelujah, that you're sitting here in a chair before me at this point in your life. All right. Let's talk about you when you're 40 or when you're 60. How do you want to be then? Because the decisions that you're making now, both with what you put in and what comes out, will affect that answer. And so when we come into this realm of understanding that, first of all, Health is really just more. It's the fact that I haven't eaten in 21 days and I feel fantastic. It's the fact that we have this inner source of power, we call it yoga prana, that we can run off of. It's the fact that, as I already said, you don't need anything at all. And I'm not trying to convert you all to a room of breatharians by any means but rather understanding that our whole superficial, mentally-based idea of need or even idea of hunger is something very much so disassociated with our body. That at large, in the modern human world, we are disassociated from our body. And so, whereas I sit here and I tell you I know nothing at all, what I do witness that comes through me really easily are the parameters to help someone experience or learn how to connect back into their body because it's your body that has the answers not me we just have to start that conversation and so often I act as a translator or a facilitator of that communication between you and your body and so uh, I want to actually take the next half hour the rest of this lecture and then we'll have some time for questions but actually to take this half-hour, and I want you to tell me things that you think you know about health. What do you think you know about health? And I'm not going to tell you it's right or wrong. Again, I'm, I'm not here to have answers. I'm here maybe to ask more questions, or to reframe the question, or to look differently at the answer, or to look at what the answer's already assumed. And how we can see things in a different light. Alright, so I'll ask you now. Who will be brave enough? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think you know about health? Hmm? I was gonna say something about um the comments that you made about the cleansing and the balance of um having good health and your said uh prana? Prana.
0: Like obviously you're still practicing yoga while
1: you're having your fast. Oh yeah, I have a very rigorous yeah. two hour practice every morning. Sorry. I have a very rigorous two hour practice yeah. every morning. So I'm
0: wondering how you um how you get the energy to do
1: that. I feel like I'd be going nuts if I was you. Yeah. Yes, 100%. And I think you already alluded to your own answer, but I'll reiterate it for the sake of everyone. And thank you for asking the question. And this is something that I think probably everyone here would agree with, the idea that we think we know that we need to have calories in to have calories out. Yeah, And that's awesome. Woo, good place to start. So yeah, for sure, there is a caloric burning that goes on. Um, I have a whole lecture on metabolism, again I point you to the podcast series where you can learn more about how I think differently about metabolism than what we assume. But the idea that the only energy that we could ever run off of is food-based caloric energy is a very misguided idea and the reason for that is exactly what you alluded to, is prana. Yeah? That vital life force energy that's inside of us, often that's the biggest discovery. When I have people join the detox retreat week, They come in and they get to day six or something of the fast and they say, I never thought I could make it this long or I never thought I'd be feeling this good after not eating for six days. And that's something I can say to you. I can sit here and let you know that it's possible. I can show you how great I feel. I can do my two-hour rigorous practice in front of you, but that's still not your experience. And so the knowing that I'm trying to reinvent here is taking the understanding from here in the head to here in the body and the heart. And that's where, from knowledge, because knowledge is what you get from other people. It's from other people's experience or other people's studies. And wisdom is what you get from your own experience. And that's what's priceless. That's what I sell, right? Education, wisdom. (laughs) But that wisdom doesn't come from me, it comes from you. It comes from me holding the space of you having that experience. So until you're a certain period of time into a fast and you're doing your rigorous exercise and you notice for sure some physiological markers have changed if your blood pressure has slightly dropped while fasting, which is normal, and you feel a little bit lightheaded at times, but then you feel this like spring back in your step. You feel this aliveness and this bounciness. You say, where on earth is this coming from? (laughs) It's two-parted. One part is what we've already decided, prana. It's this internal life force energy that is your birthright. This is the point of yoga, is to reconnect into that. The second part of this lightness or this energeticness that might be accrued from a fasting experience is because you've simply stopped most if not all obstacles that you daily put in your body. So even though that food might give you calories, which we interpret as our only energy source, now we know there's more, even though it might give you calories, it also is a huge task for your body to metabolize, to break down and to process. Depending upon what the food is, it will require a different amount of energy. I invite you guys back a week from tonight and we'll talk a lot more about digestion in the stomach. It's my once-monthly ever-popular food combining lecture next week because it's part of the curriculum for the Detox Retreat Week. And so you'll start to listen if you're not here, if you can't wait. It's episode one of the podcast. You can also go download that. But you'll find that through learning the amount of energy or time, right? Time is energy, that a food takes to digest in the organ of the stomach itself you'll start to figure out more or less what's going to bog you down and what's going to give you the same caloric return without that extra expenditure. Does that make sense? I can have a five-banana smoothie. Bananas, water, blend. Drink, slowly chew, swish around in the mouth. That's 500 calories if they were ripe. They got to look like a cheetah to be ripe. Or... I can have a piece of pizza, 500 maybe more calories depending on how much cheese you put or how thick the crust is. Of course we know nutritionally those are totally different, but the most interesting part, way more than nutrition, whatever that means, is the fact that the pizza itself is going to spend somewhere 10 to 12 hours in the organ of my stomach itself, whereas the banana smoothie will pass in and out in under an hour. And so those 10 to 12 hours are your body constantly exerting. And this is often perceived as a feeling of fullness, right? You get fullness because your body's still working. It's not saying, oh, Matilda, bring something back in. Bring something in. There's nothing in the stomach. It's saying, hey, I'm still working on lunch from yesterday. Don't put anything in. And that's what we think fullness is. And so we tend to look at either improperly combined foods or heavier foods, denser foods, foods that take longer to digest, for that feeling of fullness. Does that make sense? Whereas if we're looking at calorically, which is totally a fine way to look at things superficially before we get into these deeper yogic practices and rediscover our prana. Does does that start to make sense? Yeah? And so that two-parted answer. um, But you you already knew the answer when you asked the question. We think we know that we need calories in and calories out. To some extent that's true. When we start trusting, because it's really all about trust, Trusting our body beyond the mind and beyond what we've been told. When we start trusting our body more, is when we start to tap into the inner energetic source, the prana. But, like anything, if you were here last week, or was that two weeks ago? I don't remember. I think maybe two weeks ago when I was talking about the thyroid, right, and imbalances. If we find That we are in balance, maybe energetically, and we're constantly filling it from outside. There's going to be a false sense of balance. We will never find balance until we stop taking things in from outside and allow the body to balance out and recalibrate on its own. So when we stop eating, we stop taking in the calories from outside. We've required or requested our body to start running off of its own internal fuel. And I'm not talking about ketosis and burning your own fat on your thighs. (laughs) I'm talking about running off of prana, internal life force energy. Does that help a little bit? Did it make anyone feel like maybe I don't know so much at all? Yeah. <laughs> right, that's the answer I'm looking for. <laughs> All right, love, do you have one? Yes, my was saying Chainful. Please. Because I understand it. I, I can buy it, Don't you need, like, in the nutrition. Than, uh, okay. Awesome. So in the world of nutrition, so your question is do you still don't you still need nutrition in food? Yes. Awesome question. This is an assumption. We need Something from outside of us to make us whole, yeah? All right, in this case, it's in nutrition. Do you want to finish? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, um, no, because I think of like anorexia yeah? uh-huh. or something. They stop eating, yeah. they don't that good, I think. Yeah, for sure, you're so right. I would say that uh, anorexia is definitely an imbalance. It's not a health state, and it's not fasting. Quite often with anorexia, what we see is that someone is depriving themselves of nutrients for a long time. Maybe there'll be some binging involved, Often there'll be certain things that are high in sugar so that they can eat a piece of candy and it's only this much, yeah? or soft drinks or something like that. So it's, it's more of devoid of nutrition. People who are anorexic are starting devoid of nutrition often. Yeah? It's quite a different case. When we're talking about fasting, I always make sure that before admitting any kind of fasting client who has a history of eating disorder, that that's an eating disorder that's in the past, that it's not something that's still in the present, even if it's still lingering in the mind. And so it's a very important thing to bring up and to answer what I think the root of your question is, which is about nutrition. We have an assumption that we need things from outside to nourish ourselves. And this is totally, I think everyone would agree, we know this, right, or we think we know this because we've been told this. I don't know if any of you have actually had ever an experience of like, I feel that vitamin A going into the cells in my left lower elbow. Right? We don't have that from an internal experience. In the world of nutrition, it's split up into two parts, macronutrients, big nutrients, and micronutrients, small nutrients. Macronutrients are what you talked about, protein, fat, and carbohydrate. We'll discuss them more next week during food combining. And micronutrients are the things like vitamin A, vitamin K, vitamin B12. Right? Even your minerals start to come in in the micronutrient category. Right. And so when we look at things, the macronutrients, anything we eat will have macronutrients. All whole foods should have within them all three, protein, carbohydrates, and fat. And this is a pretty baseline misunderstanding of the modern mainstream nutritional world. People think that things are only protein, are only carbohydrate. For example, spinach has fat within it. Did anyone know that? Yeah, spinach has fat in it. Spinach also has protein in it, a whole heck of a lot when you look at it proportionally. And spinach is mostly carbohydrate, as are all fruits and vegetables. And all whole foods will have fat, carbohydrate, and protein, all three macronutrients. That's the definition of a whole food, that's its wholeness. The micronutrients are, I think, more so what you're asking about. Don't we need vitamin A in our left lower elbow? <laughs> I'm glad I can make myself laugh. So, yeah, we do, we do, for sure. To some extent, we do. I went for years in my 20s asking, like, what does nutritional science think it knows? If we're going to delineate these vitamins and assume that there are only these. How do we know what we don't yet know? Any proper scientist will admit to you that we're going to correct ourselves in 10 years. Right? That is the nature of science, that through the process of inquiry, it continues to outgrow itself. Yeah? And so nutritional science is unfortunately something that's quite narrow-minded in these parameters of thinking that we know all the nutrients that are in existence, right? and that rather we can replicate them in laboratory and I can give you this magnesium pa- capsule, right? or even I can take some vitamin C, right here, Yeah? And that the body will even understand that? No, that's crazy to assume that that isolated compound that's been synthesized in a laboratory will even be recognizable to a body. Because that, in comparison to the carrot or the spinach or whatever it is, is drastically different. The wholeness, the entirety of the spinach, let's say, when it comes into the body, there are so many synergistic chemical reactions that happen that the body can derive it and understand it. It's not the same thing as the nutrient in isolation. So I haven't gone anywhere near to answering your question. I went on a a bit of a nutrition tangent. But I find that it's really important to first doubt nutrition and then answer your question. So I hope you followed me to doubting nutrition. To answer your question, in terms of nutrient availability in our cells, by all means, we need some kind of nutrition. Yes, until we are in that advanced yogic state. There are sages in India who haven't eaten or drunk anything in 70 years. And they're sitting there as happy as can be in a room strapped up to many medical testing devices. The scientists can't figure it out. Do your research, go home and look. You'll find out. But yeah, for sure these sub, or what is it, superhuman feats are definitely possible in this world, in this time, and in this reality, and have been throughout all times and throughout all realities, all right. So, yeah, on that beginner level, remember we said we're all beginners, let's be humble enough to all be beginners, yes, some nutritional input is needed. However, if we're not that case of anorexia, or we're not in a Holocaust camp, or we're not starving in sub-Saharan Africa, we actually have in ourselves a nutritional baseline through which we can survive off of for quite a long period of time. The human body can thrive and survive for 30, 40, 50 or more days on water alone. And I know that that's not something you were taught in school. I come to you from experience as a natural hygienist, and my forefathers a hundred years ago, the natural hygienists, who did routine experiments of this to show the true capacity and capability of the human body. That true hunger is something that happens after those 30, 40, 50 days on just water. It is a call from every cell in your body saying, you've exhausted your reserves. Please eat now. And at that point in time, yes, it's appropriate to start to eat, to take back in nutrition. That is the need. Yeah, us as beginners, hmm, we still have that baseline that'll see us through for quite a long time. Does that answer? A little bit? Does it make you start to question yourself? <laughs> it raises more questions. Exactly, fantastic. There are some people up there with hands up. We can come back to you. But let, let me let you know that that's my intention. I find that to be a mark of a good teacher, someone who leaves you with more questions than you came in with. If all your questions are answered, then I'm assuming something, that I have the answers. Right? But if I can leave you with more questions than you began, that means that you've started this process of critical inquiry that this entire class exists for. I wanted to ask you when you said water or juice? Right now? Yeah, I'm on a juice feast right now, so I'm drinking lots of green juices, other juices as well. Um, Today is the 21st day. I'll continue for a while longer. You can check out my Facebook page and stay up to date. See, see if I'm still alive in a month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when you talk about getting nutrition from data, do you a specific, uh, Or do you just a Awesome. So um, if I can call out something that uh, is a very simple and uh, perhaps basic beginner yoga understanding or assumption, which is that prana is the breath. Prana is not the breath. The breath is one seat that prana can enter the body in. Yeah? So for example, the yogic practice of pranayama, the fourth limb of Ashtanga yoga, of the eight limbs, Patanjali's eight limbs of yoga from the yoga sutras, yeah? we find that pranayama, which means prana, vital life force energy, Yama, control or restraint. It's a restraint or a way to control this prana. But that doesn't mean you're taking more in, because the prana's already inside of you. It's just either fluffing up what's already there, enlivening it more, or holding it in in a certain way. The bandhas, and these, these are probably the bandhas are in the intermediate stage of yoga before the advanced stuff, right? It's that bridge from the beginner to the advanced. The bandhas are the yogic energy locks or seals. And you guys can check out that video series that I'm nervous to release next month because I talk a lot about the bandhas and some practicum on that. But these seals or these locks of energy hold the prana that's already there in a way that we can use it for our potential. Does that make sense? Because otherwise prana is leaking out all over the place. And so this control or this restraint of prana is bringing it into the body. Not, I, I said that incorrectly, I'll correct myself. Not bringing it into the body, but rather bringing it into the center of the body. Restraining it so that we can use it at our will, for our choice. And so... Your direct, that didn't still answer your direct question, which is, am I doing specific pranayama techniques or am I doing any kind of breath work to feel as good as I do on day 21 of a fast? Um, I do have a, a pranayama practice that's just a, a life practice. It's not necessarily a specific fasting practice. Uh, to truly answer your question, there is nothing required to have this vital life force of prana because what I'm doing is simply not depressing it. I'm allowing it to be alive. By not, by not eating it, by not requiring, by, by not eating, we're not, not, not eating prana, we're not eating, I'm not requiring the body to do anything. And so this prana can just run wild and have a party.
0: <laughs>
1: Unsupervised prana, that is fasting. <laughs> That's funny. Matilla. <laughs> Okay, so I'll repeat. Matilda thinks she knows that cancer and probably other diet and lifestyle related diseases, ones that I specialize in reversing are things like heart disease, autoimmune diseases, obesity, definitely cancer, uh, that these are not only incredibly preventable through change in diet and lifestyle, but also plausible and reversible through change in diet and lifestyle. And so her assumption or what she thought she knew is that it's from the diet and lifestyle that those are caused. Is that correct? This is awesome. And yes, I mean, first of all, we can never know. (laughs) Even through science and a laboratory experiment, every human body is different, every life is different, every lifestyle is different. However, we do gleam a little bit more truth When we look at epidemiological studies, now that's a big word, I know it's a long word. I can sound really impressive if I use it a lot of times. Epidemiological, epidemiological, epidemiological. What it means is population-based studies. So if I'm going to look at the entire country of China, or even maybe only the west part of China, where things are more rural and less city-focused, and I'm going to compare it, the rise in disease over a certain period of time, maybe 20 years, with that in the United States of America. What do you think that I'll find? Just guess. Okay, that's an interesting guess. Let's take, what if it were in the mid 1900s? Not now. Let's, let's take in the mid 1900s, I should have framed my question. Okay, so let's just take the chronic disease, because that's the lifestyle and diet-related disease that we're talking about, that it would be higher in North America. I think this is safe to guess, yeah? I mean, have you guys seen an American movie lately? Do you see what they eat? Well, this study has already been done, and it's been done using thousands of researchers over a 40-year time period comparing rural Chinese diet and lifestyle with the standard American. It's a study called the China study by a teacher of mine, Dr. Colin T. Campbell, out of Cornell University. And we find that definitely the results are shocking. That because of a plant-based diet in rural western China, and definitely a lifestyle that's much less complex and much more shanti, as we would say in yoga. Right? What's the word for peace? An? I think it's an in Chinese. Anyone? I think it's an? Yeah. So. This peace that we find in China and the plant-based diet has resulted at least let's say 30 years ago, over a period of 40 years, in much lower levels of diet and lifestyle related disease. In the United States perhaps the stress, the craziness of life and definitely poor food habits, higher in wheat, flour, other processed foods like white sugar, higher in meat and other processed oils has resulted in a tremendous rise in these lifestyle-related diseases. And so you're assuming has been proven, in one essence, by science. So what she thinks she knows is definitely knowledge. It's someone else's knowledge. Now, if Matilda were to go on a McDonald's diet, which someone did this, if you ever watched, what is it, Fast Food Nation or something? Yes. Supersize me, of course, I've seen it. Yes, you find that he took this knowledge and made it wisdom. He went for, I don't know, was it 40 days or something? And ate McDonald's every single day. He had medical test studies of his biomarkers from the beginning, middle, and end. And he gave himself these diet and lifestyle-related diseases. Another one that I've just seen is, I think, The Truth About Sugar. No, that's Sugar Film. An Australian guy right, who ate tremendous amounts of sugar for roughly the same period of time and also induced illness in his own body. All right, these men have done it for you, (laughs) so you can thank them. That both on the individual level as well as the epidemiological level, we can see that, yes, our diet, our nutrition causes this. So that's somewhat of a safe assumption to know. However, I'm here to be really honest and say that it's more than just physical. It will always be more than just physical. There are so many different metaphysical practices, healing techniques, that point in different directions. There's a whole map where you can look at the psychosomatics of what's going on. Yeah? There's a whole system called German New Medicine. Something incredibly controversial that says that certain things like obesity for sure they have a physiological component of eating probably too much fat and sugar and processed and refined foods, but also that the epidemic of obesity has a lot to do with not feeling home or not being able to find a home, feeling like you don't belong anywhere. And I'd say that that's something that's definitely on a rise today. Not in like the good vagabond traveler way, (laughs) right? In the way of feeling like you don't belong. A lot of this has to do with our individualistic culture, that we've gone away from collectivistic, more traditional cultures, where we had a sense of belonging and a tribe and a common purpose, a community. But no, here you are in the modern world, you're on your own. So what do we tend to do? We tend to stuff our emotions eat to get our mind off of things, there's a physiological underpinning for that too. When we eat like that, blood flows down away from the brain, literally, to try to digest food, thereby getting our mind off of things. You see that? And so, whereas, yes, Matilda, I'll say that that knowledge, I think it's pretty more or less safe to assume you know, still there's more to it. Still there's more to it. There's also the inner toxicity because someone who's been vegetarian their entire life yeah, can go and develop cancer. And they say, what now? (laughs) Right? That was super annoying. I'm sure that was horrible on the mic. Yeah? They say, what now? Or someone else says, what now? Look, that, that vegetarian who got cancer. Well, did that person grow up next to a radioactive landfill mine, whatever? Yeah? Is there something else going on? And so my answer, I guess, is that whereas, yeah, okay, it's safe somewhat to look at the epidemiological as well as the individual study, to look at the scientific study of producing disease and then reversing it, there's also a lot more going on than science can measure. There's a lot more going on than science can measure. One of those things that's actually tangible is toxicity. I measure that in the colonics hut, Yeah, because even though I haven't eaten in 21 days and I've been cleansing my body for 15 years, I still have black slides of sludge coming out in my colonics. Are we getting too personal? (laughs) But my poo, my poo. (laughs) So you see, there is so much more here. I love when someone comes in for the first colonic and afterwards they're like, I feel so good, I'm clean, right? And I'm like, you're so sweet, how can I break this news to you in a way that won't break your heart? This process of detoxification and unraveling is something that goes generations back and it's something that is a lifetime practice. But that it's not a journey with a destination. It's a journey where we wake up every day and we decide how we want to feel. We decide how much we want to run off of external things, if those are stimulants like caffeine or Red Bull, right, or even depressants like alcohol, right, where we're running away from our own inner perfection. And that's why we also call these health satsang, because what I'm speaking about in the realm of health and the body is exactly what we speak about in terms of prana and power and yoga. Alright, so we've reached that half hour mark that I said you guys would present things that you don't know. We can either do one more if anyone has or if you just have any questions about anything else we don't have to play the I think I know game. me fat (laughs) yeah awesome so the body roughly will stabilize weight within the first seven to ten days so that's what i experienced within the first seven to ten days weight loss and then the body stabilizes yeah a healthy body will stabilize there's no need to to go under more and more if i'm going longer and longer into the fast we'll see because I am taking in juice, I still am taking in a whole heck of a lot of nutrition and some calories. So it's not like I'm cheating. I'm just not taking in solid fibrous matter. Um, and I did intentionally because I also did a 30-day fast in January. I intentionally put on weight before this fast for a period of two months, where I was eating. In fact, the month before, in May, I did an experiment called ramay. I was talking about it a lot on the Facebook page where I was eating kind of the Ubud mainstream raw where they get on average 60% calories from nuts and seeds. Um, I had quite a devastating experience. It was one of these things where I had to take the knowing from here to here because I often talk about how this kind of diet is damaging on the body so many calories from fat. Um, But I had never really put myself through the process of having the experience. I did, and it was it was enough, it was enough, so I have a video on the Facebook page talking about that in real frank honesty, and um, at the beginning of May, I did a, a whole podcast lecture on raw food, so that you can learn more about that if, if I'm piquing interest that you're wanting to go down that tangent, I won't go down now, but, um, so I did put on weight, uh, but also, yeah, I'm not, I'm not totally emaciated, right, so... Does that answer? Does that. Yeah? Yeah, the body, will, the body will stabilize after a certain point. Awesome. Thanks for asking. Yeah?
0: After a water class, what would you do to your
1: Beautiful question. Green. Yeah? Leafy green vegetables. Tons of fruit. Think of all those colors. Each one of those colors represents a phytonutrient, a plant nutrient. So fruits and vegetables are the most easily digestible food. Right? And so when you're turning your digestive system back on, you want to do so gently and slowly. Don't throw a pizza in there on day two after a big water fast. Yeah. Yeah, so um, that's a great question. And I don't think measurements have been made on this. Um, I would say that you'll feel it, probably. Um, I know that my teachers, Arnold Airhead being one of them, uh, 100 years ago when they were doing these experiments, they would go quite back to back with their fasts. Right, and I waited six months between these two major fasts and people are still like, didn't you just fast like yesterday? Yeah, but so in the modern world, it's very different than it was 100 years ago. Um, And yeah, I'm not sure if I have an answer to how long it would take to get back to a nutritional baseline. But essentially, it depends on what you're eating and how you're eating it more than the fact that you're just eating. Because if you're eating something, you're eating it in, improperly combined, or you're eating something and it's genetically modified and your body's not going to recognize it anyway. Or if you're eating something and it's been too overly cooked that your body, there's no nutrition left in it, you see? Or if you're eating something and your body's in such a state of disarray that it can't actually absorb the nutrition. It's not just about the fact that you're eating, It's about how you're eating, and what you're eating, and how you're eating it together. Um, And so my answer, how long would it take? I'd say normally when we're breaking a fast or when we're easing into a fast, we take half the length of the fast to ease in. Uh, And so if it's a month-long fast, you want to take at least two weeks to ease out. So two weeks of eating lots of fruits and vegetables, really simple, going slow with your system. After that two weeks, you should feel pretty darn good. and super, super vibrant. That doesn't mean necessarily go on another water fast right after that. Some people have done that historically and they've had great success. So, that means to me that the cells did have uptake of nutrition. Um, yeah, but I don't think this is something we can measure, or at least we haven't yet by science. Yeah, all right, room for one more. Ah, I love this question. I love this question because this means you're on to something. Yes, my job is freaking easy. <laughs> yes, all health conditions can pretty much be treated the same way. And what is that way? Yeah, okay, so in practice maybe it looks like fasting, but what it really is is awakening of the body's own healing power. That your body's own healing power is more priceless and way more effective than anything you could ever find in a pharmacy and that your body's own healing power is more powerful than you can even begin to conceive with your mind. Yeah? So, yes, there is one medicine that is the eternal medicine, which is the medicine that you were born with. Yeah, have you ever heard of that? You were not born with problems that you don't already have solutions to. You wouldn't have been given the problems if you didn't have the solutions, so just try to find the solution because it's there if the problem's there. Same thing with imbalance, same thing with disease, yeah? Part of your being born as a human was being born with this tremendous self-healing power. And so my job is really to start to unravel the things that are in the way, the things that are blocking us from experiencing that self-healing power. And fasting is the most powerful modality that I've ever found in directly sending someone into that place. Does that make sense? So, um, do you sort of pass as long as the issues with prices, or? yeah. Awesome question. Um, did I answer your message? Yeah. Okay, good. See, I'm accountable, huh? Facebook actually holds me accountable. They rate me on what percentage I reply to people's messages. Um, yeah, this is an awesome question. In general, superficially, beginner answer is yes. Fast as long as you need for the disease to reverse. If there are a lot of other things going on, for example, if you're continuing fasting puts you under a tremendous amount of emotional stress, or mentally you're not ready to continue fasting, then for sure the switch into the sympathetic nervous system, the stress response, will not allow for healing. So now you're just like chasing your own tail. And so we have to be really holistic and really honest about where someone is to be able to decide that question. A really great alternative to fasting is fruit fasting where you're still eating, right, but you've simplified your diet all the way to maybe fruit and leafy greens. You do that. Do, you can do that easy for a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. Your respiratory problem will definitely go away. And then the last part, and I, I don't think we'll have time for you tonight, it's like but... A one, one question. Okay. <laughs> the last part, right, there's always one more question. The last part of your... Your question, which is super valid, um, is about, I might have lost my train of thought. Let me see if I can j- run and jump on the train. When we look at fasting, understanding that there's a healing crisis that we also have to acknowledge, that maybe even the respiratory manifestation in and of itself is a healing crisis. Yeah. And the healing crisis, mind you, if you've never heard that before, it's the body exhibiting symptoms. Gesundheit. And actually all symptoms, as simple as you're sneezing, if I can use that as an example, is the body trying to heal itself. That all symptoms are the body literally healing itself. They are ignition of that internal self-healing power. In the case of the sneeze, something came into her field that her body didn't want inside. And so, puh, achoo, it expelled it. In the case of your lungs, it's quite similar. That cough, right, or that phlegm, that mucus, that's coming up. That's your body sending right, this wonderful defense shield into its sensitive mucus membranes to carry out this essence of whatever it doesn't want. Yeah. And so even though you might start fasting and it feels like the respiratory condition is getting worse, it could be getting worse so that it gets better. When the arrow is pulled back, it's about to launch. And so for those of you in this room, if you're going through a period of healing and you feel like you're kicking yourself in the foot and it's just not getting better, or you're doing all the right things and the symptoms aren't alleviating, you might be in that place where the arrow is being pulled back. You might be in the last step of the healing crisis. Okay, one-sentence question, what is it? <laughs> do you like food? Do I like food? Oh, I love food, sister. I was thinking about this today, because I, I posted a video yesterday. I do this a lot. I post a video when I'm in, like, a beautiful, natural place, because I find that that inspires someone who's on their computer to get off their computer and go to a beautiful, natural space. And so I was on the beach yesterday, and I, I was, I, like, go in the water so that I'm fully in the water when I'm recording the video. It keeps me really live and negative ions are released from the movement of water. It makes people happy. It makes me happy while I'm making videos. But in the video, the waves rush in and I go like this and the camera goes and like shows my whole body, right? So that's like aerial angle. I'm wearing a bikini. It's like, oh my God, how many views am I going to get on this video, right? But also, I was like, wow, I wonder if people watching that are, are thinking, is, the, is, is this girl anorexic, right? She just did a month-long fast six months ago, and now she's on another long fast, right? Does she like food, right? Is she anorexic, that kind of thing? And I want to be super, like, clear. When I eat, I eat. And I don't mean, like, I eat pizza and hot dogs, but I eat a massive quantity of food, yeah? Because the foods that I'm choosing to eat are plant-based, right? So they're less dense in calories. You have to eat more of them. They're mostly water like those bananas, those are 95% water. So I don't do a five-banana smoothie. I might do a 10-banana smoothie. Right? And so really understanding, and also understanding that we are meant we are meant to go through cycles of feast and famine, and feast and famine. And that's not feast, gorge yourself. That's feast, properly eat. And then that's time when you're fasting, right? and properly allow your body to remember what it feels like to run off of this own internal prana and your healing life force. All right, so you guys are amazing. Thank you so much for joining and for coming into this place of doubt with me um, and embracing me in this. I love you for it, really, truly. Stay in touch as you see I answer Facebook messages, and I'm always here, and I'm not here with any answers. I'm just here to perhaps give you some parameters and some other things to think about. You don't need to change anything. Just continue as you are. Loving yourself, and just bring in a little more awareness. That conscious awareness is what will guide you on the path, asking those questions. So you already have my card. There's a Facebook uh, page up here that you can take a a picture of and then like it. Um, It's facebook.com forward slash cleansewithandrea. This is my mailing list where I send out podcasts and uh, other free yoga and meditation stuff. And I'll see you guys next week. Ciao. You're so welcome.
0: Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Vitality Podcast. Please click over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review to spread this work with the world. You have a part in transforming humanity's health. Keep enjoying this free resource and make sure to give back by sharing, subscribing, and checking out all of Andrea's work at liveforvitality.com, where you can find links to Instagram and other social media. Andrea also gives astrology readings, holds online fasting retreats, and teaches detox courses and advanced yoga teacher trainings. So come to liveforvitality.com and let Andrea transform your life now.